Is there enough German wine in your life? Aside from some of the most incredible Riesling on this earth, Germany is the third largest and one of the most acclaimed producers of Pinot Noir in the world. There, the grape is known as Spätburgunder. Discover more about German wine at GermanWineUSA.com or on social media at GermanWineUSA. This is a moment in wine and hip-hop brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip-hop at the highest level. Wine and hip-hop, wine and music. Tell me up, bro. Check this out. Oh, yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip-hop really mirrors the, the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, what's good, y'all? It's your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting Infinity Stones. I got the man, the myth, the legend, soy pimp, a.k.a. Rob Dentis, man. Thank you for joining us. This is, I was telling you earlier, man, it's an honor to have you on the show. It's nice to finally meet you, man. I've been watching uh, and listening to what you've been doing now for a long time. Uh, I think the Lyle Fast Show was the first one where I heard about you. Um, great uh, initial guest to talk about uh, wine and hip hop and reasoning, you know, all things that I love. So been a huge fan ever since then. So, so happy to uh, finally connect. Appreciate it, man. Um, we got to just jump straight into it because like you have an interesting following, like you have a, a wine and music following, which is really cool. And it fits our show so well. So we should just introduce the people to your rap spirit animal. Now, if you could choose a rapper that embodied your spirit and your style, what rapper would that be? Easy. West Side Gun. <laughs> I come with a wonderful feeling, put holes in your bill in a little willing. I be touching big bags. Go your leashes on all red, St. Bernard, St. Lawrence, water with the coke with the avion. They be on bullshit. I be on real time. I be out of friends with Clovis, sipping real wine, toasting my real niggas. They're selling dope still. <laughs> we had to drop a West Side <laughs> Had to drop a West Side Gun ad lib. I'm from Buffalo. Mm, okay. I love the fact that he's got that blue collar grit. He's a hard worker. I love the fact that he's crossing over between music, art, fashion. I love how hard he works. He puts out so much music. Yeah. I love the fact that he's doing a little bit older. You know, he had to work through some things in, you know, his life. I just love, you know, everything he's doing. Love the whole Griselda crew, but for me, it's West Side Gun. Mm. Now, that's dope, man, because, you know, I I always insert the music after the Spirit Animal thing, so I'm uh, I'm very happy to insert some West Side Gun. <laughs> but he's also kicking it with some real deal wine people, I'm noticing. You know, he's yeah. he's out there. Like, I heard on, on the Pray for Paris album, like Joey Badass mentioning... Yeah. Um, what did he mention? One of them mentioned Petrus. Petrus, so. that's what it was. I got to get him a little bit more into Riesling. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, champagne, I think we need to sit down and get yeah. some things together, get them away from some of that uh, vuv and uh, some other things that they drink. But uh, my guess is he will uh, he will love Riesling and love a lot of the same types of champagnes that we drink. Uh, just love 
everything that that crew's doing. I love that Buffalo is finally, you know, part of the hip hop conversation. Mm. They're all great. You know, Benny, Conway. There's some young cats now. Uh, they have got great women on the. Uh, yeah. Armani Caesar, uh, Che Noir. Yeah. Um, She's dope. Yeah. She's really dope, man. Like it's I heard great. That whole the the Buffalo. That whole like upstate scene because there's this guy I don't know if you ever heard him Stove God Cooks. Not heard him now. He's from Syracuse. Okay. And um, Rock Marciano produced his entire first album, Fire, and he sounds just like that Griselda gritty, yeah. but he's talking that fly shit like it, it's a dope. You'll love it, I guarantee you, man. Yeah, I love um, everything they're doing. Uh, another wine friend of mine, Emil Haney. Um, big time producer. He helped those guys get discovered. He got them their deal on Shady. Um, gotcha. So it's all you know, Buffalo connection, Buffalo love. My favorite song on the on the Pray for Paris is it was a West Side Gun solo joint. He has this line: "I'll be with my guys drinking real wine." <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people would really get that unless you were kind of in both cultures. You know, like you have to yeah. understand like there's wine drinkers. And there's real wine. Yeah. Um, so it's just, and you know, I'm seeing, I'm following the whole movement. I see the pictures. I just think the whole thing is dope, man. So it's cool. But you're also like, you know, you have a, a finance background. Yes. Originally. So like in your professional career, you're, um, you're in finance and you ended up so deep in wine and music. How did that happen? Yeah, I've always loved music. I've always liked collecting records. Um, it was, you know, hard at certain points of my life to keep up with it because, you know, when you're working 100 hours a week and, you know, back in the 90s, without things like Spotify and the access to music that we have today, it was a little bit harder. So I find, you know, at this point in my life, it is so easy, you know, to figure out what's going on, you know, in Buffalo, you know, that scene only started to get noticed three or four years ago. Seriously. You know, if this was in the nineties and it wasn't, you know, played on MTV or some other, you know, format, I probably wouldn't have been able to discover it. So for me, what's really cool is, um, I'm really into all forms of music, but hip hop specifically, I'm just drilling down deeper and deeper, learning about a lot of, you know, new artists. They're putting out music, yeah. you know, three, four albums a year. But I'm also kind of like weaving and bobbing and going back and discovering some genres that I missed. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, now again, Records just put out a, an album by DJ Screw, the whole Houston scene. Yeah, so. yeah, I was vaguely aware of that, but I never knew how good that was. And when I saw, you know, them drop that around, uh, you know, the record store day, um, I just started listening to it. And I was like, wow, I can't believe, you know, how good this stuff is. And then there are all kinds of other like subgenres and mm -hmm. regional areas. So for me, you know, it's just like wine. I like uh, discovering. I love learning. I love reading about it. I love tasting and trying. So I'm going backwards yeah. and, you know, checking out some stuff that I missed. I started out in hip hop really, really early. Um, the first uh, hip hop record I ever heard was Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> it uh, it breaks my heart to learn you know more about that album and how they pretty much stole it from a lot of other people. But you know, growing up in Buffalo and you know wanting to hear anything other you know than classic rock and Foghat, Boston, mm -hmm. you know, you name it. When I heard Sugar Hill Gang, it just blew my mind. And then I heard Curtis Blow. 
and then Africa Bombata, and then, you know, when it started to get a little bit more mainstream, I was thinking about this today, and uh, I actually saw Run DMC in Buffalo open up for New Edition with Bobby <laughs> Brown during the Candy Girl phase. Oh, my God. They were the opening act. Run DMC. Well, Run DMC is an opening act, period. It's yeah. just, it sounds totally. crazy, but then... Opening up for New Edition. Yep. That's real. That must have been a dope concert, though. Oh, it was a, it was a great <laughs> concert. Uh, I'm not going to front. I probably went to see New Edition, even though I liked Run DMC. Yo, look, man. You know, I mean, those guys, they were rapping. You know, yeah. that was New Edition was real, dude. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. I got into roller skating, which was about the only, you know, non, you know, traditional boring thing to do in, in Buffalo. And that's actually where I, you know, discovered a lot of early... Mm. You know, great hip hop. But the the cool thing is, you know, when I really reflected on it is, you know, to me, it was anything but what was mainstream. So the Clash was no different than the Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah. It just wasn't, you know, classic rock. It was so, against the grain. Yeah. Anything that I could discover back then that was unique and different um, to me was great. So I didn't become a hip hop head. I just loved, you know, the early hip hop stuff because it wasn't classic rock. It was anything but. Uh, and then fast forward today, it's it's amazing to me to see, you know, hip hop is the largest selling music category. Yeah. You know, crazy. some, you know, music geeks that I know were talking about, you know, how amazing the influence jazz had on the world. So I pointed out to them that, you know, in the United States, jazz accounts for one percent of music sales. Hip hop is number one at about 22, 25%. So if you want to talk about an American art form that's had, you know, the most impact, it's probably hip hop. And when you think about like what it does uh, to spread American culture globally, yes, you know, that, that's the, that's what really stood out to me when I really started getting into wine. Like a lot of my, I have a friend, um, he's actually a partner of mine, Ben. Uh, he's from Israel, and he was raised on hip hop. That was yeah. how he learned about, about America. So now he lives in Brooklyn, yeah. and he's like, you know, just a kid in the candy store, just seeing what he's been hearing about this entire time. And don't get me wrong, he's in bed style. You know, he gets to see the good and the bad. Yeah. But it's just it's taking in that cultural experience, you know. So yeah, another um, you know cool thing that I've been noticing lately is a lot of amazing jazz going on. A lot of young players. Um, you know, are really, really doing amazing stuff. But when you talk to them, they grew up on hip hop. Yeah. So when they go back and they learned, you know, that Tribe Called Quest used a lot of great jazz samples and Ahmad Jamal was so key, you know, to this music, they're kind of blown away. And it's funny, you know, a lot of hip hop producers that I know look at these young musicians and think they're doing incredible stuff and when you tell them they grew up on your music yeah they're blown away you know it's absolutely amazing. blown away I talked to you know one of the guys in this band in London called Ill Considered and he told me that he grew up on hip hop and he said I got rid of my hip hop records but I kept one record Mad Villain mm. and that's just amazing to me you know that these guys respect you know that you know, art and respect hip hop and the music that they created. But yet today, you know, they're going more in the jazz direction because that's a little bit unique and different for them. Yeah. And you really, um, so you're a huge record collector. How yeah. many records do you have? Or do you keep <laughs> count? I remember when I was collecting sneakers, I didn't yeah. keep count. 
I have less records than one. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's in the, you know, several thousand, but I don't have an exact count. <laughs> Got you. And yeah. also a, a big wine collector. So, yeah. like, is collecting just in your blood? Is, is that, are you it just is. bred to collect? Like, Yeah, I mean, I, I like to do two things. I like to research things. I like to learn about things. I like to, you know, find things that are a little bit, you know, unknown. And I feel like, you know, when you research a, a rare record that no one's ever heard of before and you find it and there's always an incredible story behind it, you know, perhaps somebody who made one record and never made another record again, you know, for a lot of different reasons. There's a, you know, a story behind most of the wines that I love too. The wine we're drinking right now, the Keller Abstard, um, you know, has a really cool story. Happy to, you know, tell you about it whenever uh, it's appropriate. But I just like learning about things and researching. And to me, finding the records and finding the wine is almost as much fun mm -hmm. um, as it is drinking and listening. So the other part of that equation is, you know, meeting the people who made them. So, you know, going and meeting a musician, you know, who no one has heard of in 20 years, who made some incredible music and mm -hmm. telling them how much, you know, the music means to you is really wonderful as well. It's no different than me, you know, traveling to Germany and spending, you know, a week, you know, every day meeting three or four different growers. And I have to say, they're so thankful, slightly different, you know, that I'm not, you know, technically in the wine business. I have a small little venture now, but, you know, every trip uh, that I've gone to Germany, it's just been as a, you know, collector and fan. Mm -hmm. You know, when you come to them and see them and tell them how much you care about their wine and how much it means to you, um, they're so happy. So it's about the stories and the people behind it. Mm. Yo, just want to take a sec to give a big shout to my people at Wide Roots Imports. The role of a good wine importer is to tell the story of the land that the wines are from. Wide Roots does that in a very judgment-free way. They're an educational resource for people that are new to wine, and if I'm rocking with them, you know they keep some fire on deck. Right now, bringing in wines from Spain and Italy. For more info, go to widerootsllc.com now. That's, that's a really uh, great perspective, man. It, it's true. Like, So you have a ton of friends in the music industry and in the wine industry. Like, How did that connection begin for you when did you start yeah. to kind of seep into let's let's say music first yeah it really actually started you know somewhat through wine so Ethan Alipo you know, from <laughs> you know now again records and uh and Mad Libs manager you know we kept crossing paths you know in doing a lot of the research that I do for music it would always be an article that he wrote for NPR or you know, something that he put out, you know, a reissue of. So we kept crossing paths. We started a dialogue. We ended up meeting one night over some great wine. Uh, we actually had, uh, I think, a bottle of Trousseau and a bottle uh, of Caillard, mm. you know, one of the, the greatest natural wines ever made. And after that, we just kept, you know, in touch. And before you know it, we were hanging out. And a lot of it, in all honesty, is through him. Um, we've had a, a wonderful friendship. Um, there's not too many people that I know who have the same level of, you know, interest in both wine and, uh, you know, records as well as just hanging out and, you know, 
sitting around drinking three or four bottles of wine and talking about music for five hours. To yeah. me, there's, there's nothing greater than that. And, you know, that's, you know, what we've been able to do. And through connections like that, you know, where wine and music sort of, uh, you know, merges, I've been able to meet a lot of interesting people. It's, it's so interesting that, uh, that you found that perspective because, yeah. I mean, that's a big part of why I do this. You know, it, it's to bring, to draw out more people like myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this whole wine and hip hop thing started as a selfish project to figure out yeah. how to get my friends to talk about the shit that I was into. Yeah. And it's, you're right. It has this like connective, uh, um, capability about it. It's. It's dope, man. The great thing for me is meeting the music people who don't know much about wine and, you know, they really want to learn. And they also have that same sort of collecting, researching type, you know, gene in them. So when you demystify it for them and just give them a little pointers and they go off on their own and they start exploring, especially if you can guide some of them to some things that are, you know, in their price range, they just completely geek out on it. The inverse is also true. A lot of wine people I know who aren't that into music, you know, I do a lot of these playlists that I, you know, put out every week and I get so many, you know, thank yous from wine people saying, you know, I'm not really that knowledgeable about music, but I listen to your playlist and I love it all and I've never heard any of it before, so thank you. <laughs> so it's just a natural, you know, evolution, I think, that wine and, uh, and music you know, we find different ways to combine the two. I got to say, I relate 100%. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah. It, it really is. Like, I love when the people that are more into wine get introduced to new music. That's another part of, like, why I try to use so much, so many B-sides yeah. in the on the show. It's because I want to show people what they're not being shown. Yeah. And it's the same thing on the wine side. Like... You know, wine has this perception. Like people think, I mean, and that's changing a lot now. Yeah. But overall, I think that wine still has this luxury quality to it. So yeah. people create this intimidation factor on their own. You know, even though, like you just mentioned, like how many down to earth winemakers have you met? Like winemakers yeah. are the coolest people on earth cool. because how hard they have to work to, you know, develop this amazing product that we're drinking. And I think some of them, you know, even, you know, Klaus Peter Keller, who's probably, you know, one of the most famous winemakers in the world, don't realize how much, you know, we put them on a pedestal and yeah. how cool, you know, we think that they are for all they do and how hard they work. You know, wine is probably one of the most difficult games there is. I mean, you can't control the vintage. Yeah. You know, you can't control the market for your wine. You really have to, you know, get out there and, and make sure you have a brand and you can sell it. It's it's a really, really tough life. Yeah, seriously. Um, and I appreciate them so much. And, you know, a lot of the obscure guys like Uli Stein, you know, a guy who lives on the top of the mountain in the Moselle, he was making some of the greatest wines, you know, I've ever had. Um, the labels were not so great and he didn't have a great distribution and, um, you know, my friend Stephen Bitteroff at Von Boden took him on and, you know, we've championed the wines and, you know, now his wines are known in the U.S. all over. But he was toiling away in obscurity, just like a lot of musicians, yeah. you know, who are making great, great music and, 
they just don't have the right distribution channel to get their music out. You know, Spotify and other you know forms of streaming and Bandcamp and all these things today really help. Um, you know, but 20, 30 years ago, if you didn't have a record deal, your best bet was to you know maybe make two or three hundred copies of a vinyl and, and hope you could sell it and hope yeah. you could get the attention <laughs> of a big record label. Um, so it's tough. There's a lot of similarities between the two. Once you get past like the big brands and the big artists who have all the distribution that you need, it's yeah. a tough life. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, I want to get into... So now, aside from the wine, pardon me, yeah, aside from the, the records, yeah. you're also a huge wine collector. Yeah. Now, uh, do you keep... Well, we all keep inventory on our wines. How many bottles would you say, <laughs> like... It's somewhere <laughs> close to 10,000. Yeah. And mostly Riesling. I would say about 90% of it is uh, is German wine. Dude, so, wow. I, I got to say, man, the biggest German wine collector I've met. Uh, and you're also super passionate about spreading the German wine culture, like helping people learn more about German wine. I am. Um, the language can be tough to follow. What tips can you give people, you know, entry level? How do you break into German wine? Yeah, I would say the first thing is, you know, know a couple of the better wine stores that have great, you know, German wine selections. That's one. Number two, know a couple of the, you know, better German wine importers. There's only three or four um, importers that probably import 80% of, you know, the German wine. So if you know Von Boden, Skernick, um, Shotzi, the wine collection, you turn around a bottle and they're on the back of that, you're probably going to get a good one. The next thing is just don't be so worried about the labels. Just go into a wine store and tell them what you want. If you really like the dry wines, tell them you want a dry German wine and you'd like it to be as dry as possible. If you'd like to try something with a little bit more residual sugar, there's a couple of categories called fine herb and halvetrocken. Try that. And then if you want to try sweeter stuff, ask the wine store what level of sweetness is. There's about four or five different levels. That's it. And I'll tell you, you can start in the $20 range and really, really drink well, even a little bit lower if you need to. Yeah, um, you can find, I mean, even, you know, because um, Riesling is so age-worthy, yeah. you can find great value Rieslings yeah. at auction, like, um, you know, I mean, old stuff, like just... Yeah, that, that that's the beautiful thing about about Riesling. So um, you pick today's pairing. Can you tell the people a little bit about what we're drinking? Yeah, so we're drinking a 2012 Keller Absterda. It's from the Rhineson. Um, so this vineyard, it's a really great story, and it reminded me of record collecting or digging because you have to know the story behind it to know why this wine is so special. So it's a very special vineyard. Um, they've been uh, harvesting grapes from this vineyard since the 1300s. Back in the 13, 1400s, uh, the majority of the wine would go to the bishop of the area. Mm -hmm. And it's a very rocky, um, very difficult vineyard to farm. So what the farmers started to do back then was they actually started to plant grapes in less difficult areas to farm so they could farm easier grapes and send it off to the bishop for his wine. Well, you know, as Klaus Peter Keller tells the story, the bishop 
um, actually was a pretty uh, serious wine connoisseur. And when they started to change where they were picking the grapes from, he noted it immediately. And he told them to go back to where they were picking the other wines that he had that he liked. So they carved out about a four hectare parcel where this wine came from. And the Keller family, the first vineyard that they purchased other than their family holdings was in 1996 and they purchased this vineyard. Mm. There was a contract on the vineyard where somebody else was making wine from it. So they couldn't make wine from it until 2005. So 2005 was the first vintage. 2012 was a great, great vintage overall. I think, you know, Klaus Peter Keller, you know, really, you know, found, you know, how to work with the vineyard and really learned over, you know, the seven years prior. So it's an incredible wine. His top wine, GMAC, sells for $2,000. Mm -hmm. I think for my palate, this is just as good and some days better. So of the entire Keller lineup, this is one of you know my favorite wines. It's got an incredible story. Um, Klaus Peter Keller, to me, you know, he's one of the best winemakers in the world. You know, if he was in you know Burgundy, he'd be Koch. Um, <laughs> you know, if he was you know any other region, he'd be a top winemaker. But also, you know, like us, he's a wine geek. So you know, he loves drinking Beaujolais. He loves making you know Silvaner for twenty bucks. That's a great wine. Um, his Vonderfels, which he takes a lot of the Grand Cru vineyards and puts in so people can get, you know, the experience of drinking the Grand Cru's is a fantastic value. So if I were to, you know, showcase what's great about German wine, especially the Grosses Gewicht class, which is meant to equal Grand Cru in Burgundy, this winemaker, this vintage, and this vineyard would be one of the wines I would pick. So that's why I chose it for us. Dope, dope. I, I appreciate it, man. This is delicious, dude. I mean... This tastes like a completely different wine. Like, there's yeah. so many people that I could, you know, pour this for, and they wouldn't believe me that, that this is Riesling. Like, so the cool thing about Riesling is, like, if you were a high-end Burgundy collector, some of the guys you probably know from your auction life, I would pour this for them and say, give this a shot, you yeah. know? Pour this next to the Rouleau and the, and the Coche, and let me know what you think. And I'm pretty sure they would love it because I've done it before. Yeah. I've seen it. The other thing, though, is, you know, the Vonderfels that I mentioned, pouring that for, you know, a young uh, guy or girl who's just getting into wine and saying, check out what dry reasoning has to offer. They're going to be equally as blown away. So the great thing about German wine for me is that it can pull in people who are just getting started, people who are afraid, you know, because of the complicated labels and that they don't, they think it's sweet. It can, you know, be an entree point for them or, you know, the high-end collector who, you know, is drinking Koch. Yeah. <laughs> when he sees how great this is, you know, guarantee that, you know, he or she will be running out and buying this wine because I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I've created a number of monsters. <laughs> nah, man, definitely. And so today we're pairing this with the Jahari Masaba new record. Oh, sweet, man. This is their debut. First time they're getting connected. 
tell me about this. I feel like you know, like kicking it with you about this. My, I might as well sit down with Madlib and <laughs> <laughs> talk about it. So every song on this record is named after a wine. Yeah, amazing. And I, I, I feel like you might have inspired this in some <laughs> way or another. You know, and this is this is wine and hip hop right here. Like straight up and down. I mean, yeah, it's this um, is why I do this, man. I hope to see more of this. Um, so first off, I mean, product. Ethan Alapart, who is Madlib's manager, he's as much a wine geek as we are, and uh, you know, he picked all the the wine names. I may have inspired a couple of the songs on there slightly from all the things we've drunk together, including yeah. a lot of great Riesling and a lot of great Marche. Um, but this album to me. It is the combination of, when I listen to it, an extraordinarily knowledgeable, um, you know, two musicians who are extraordinarily talented. So most people don't know that Madlib plays 10 instruments. Most people know, you know, he's a digger, but no one knows the depths of his knowledge of jazz. Seriously. So when I listen to this, I listen to somebody who has listened to a lot of jazz and I mean a lot, and I mean esoteric stuff that we've probably never even heard of. I have maybe once, you know, talked about a jazz record that, you know, Otis has, you know, not heard of before. So when I listen to this, I hear someone who is a student of jazz and hip hop who can play 10 instruments paired with Kareem Riggins, who's one of the baddest producers, drummers around. So to me, it just like blends all of that together. You know, you can definitely feel a little bit of the hip hop aspect. And, you know, it's very common now that a lot of hip hop producers like to do short, you know, two minute, three minute songs, like to really change it up. Mm -hmm. um, there's also some songs on there that might be more akin to 70s jazz. Um, you know, Ethan talks about Phil Ranlin, who's one of our heroes. He doesn't like the term spiritual jazz. He prefers black classical jazz mm. um, or black classical, I think, specifically, you know. There are some songs on here that if I played it for you and didn't know this album existed, you would ask me, you know, what cool 70s jazz record it was. Then there are some other things on there, you know, that sound a little bit more, con you know, temporary. But then how it's all put together, the way that hip hop is put together today, where, you know, the sequence is really important. Right. The change ups between one short song to another song are, are really important. So to me. It just takes everything I love, you know, wine being the inspiration for a lot of these songs, uh, hip hop, jazz, with some really, really, really talented, talented musicians. And I don't think, you know, people realize how talented Madlib is. Um, you know, there was a, a show that Ethan and um, Madlib did. I got to hook up with them in, in London. We had a great lunch at uh, Noble Rot. We drank a 13 Keller G Max and a 13. Sauze Marche, and then mm. I had to to run and uh, and catch a plane back to the uh, the grind in New York, and they stayed and did an interview with uh, with Giles Peterson, and at the end of the interview, Giles asked Madlib, um, you know, who's the one musician that you know to you is the be all end all that encompasses everything that you love about music, and he said Sun Ra. Mm. Uh, Giles asked Ethan who his musician was and Ethan said David Axelrod who he was very very close to um, and I thought about it when I heard the interview afterwards and I said you know 
I think for me it would be Mad Lib, and I think 20 years from now people are going to talk about him in the same way they talk about Sun Ra. No one knows, not even Ethan, what he has in the can. Yeah. He no. makes music every day. He plays multiple instruments. He's into so many different styles, you know, from weird industrial music to every, you know, type of jazz that you could possibly think of. He doesn't really listen to contemporary music from what I know. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, 15, 20 years from now, when some of this stuff all comes out, you're going to see his entire body of work. Things like, you know, Chasari, Masamba unit, you know, that's just going to be one of many like this that are going to blow people's minds. Dude, what he does with sampling, I mean, and, you know, I'm really, I'm going to pick this record up today. I'm really excited to, to check this out. It's really, um, really amazing. Dude, like, what he he's on a whole different level. Like, yeah. I don't even know how he puts these sounds together. Like, it's... It's interesting. Um, uh, uh, so when putting this interview together, I thought about questions that everyone is going to have. I think one of the main questions that people have is the name Soil Pimp. How did, how did, when did that epiphany hit you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a really um, cool story. So there is a obscure Japanese funk band called Soil and Pimp Sessions. Mm. And I've known about them for a long time, always really liked them. And when I heard Soil and Pimp, to me, Soil Pimp reminded me of Terroir. And I quickly needed an Instagram name when I you know, signed up for Instagram. And my Instagram was initially probably going to be you know, more about wine. And I was like, Soil Pimp, <laughs> you know, what are you doing with wine? You're, you're pimping the terroir of the soil. I mean, right. the soil is such a key part of wine that I thought it was a cool name. And lo and behold, it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's become its own thing. You know, I, I walk into a restaurant and people are like, hey, Soil Pimp. <laughs> I, I went into, uh, you know, the Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib show in L.A., I'm walking through the crowd and I hear somebody from up top screaming, Soil Pimp, Riesling Study. <laughs> so it's taken uh, on yeah. a, a life of its own. I, I never really intended it to uh, you know, be anything more than just a quick name to get on Instagram. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I, I didn't want to put my... Uh, you know, my real name because, you know, I'm an investment banker by right. day and, you know, just wanted the freedom to, uh, you know, be able to post whatever I wanted. Now everybody I work with knows, uh, at least the younger guys do. Um, so there wasn't a lot of thought into it. I just thought it was a cool <laughs> name that reminded me of, of Terroir. That is so funny, man. I mean, yeah, I know that's, you know, a lot of you, you finally got the answer. This been scratching your head for a while. There's at least 15,000 of y'all trying to figure this out. <laughs> Another cool part of that story is that um, a friend of mine, Monday Nichiuri, who's a, a great Japanese singer, she was in Japan mm. and the band Soil and Pimp Sessions gave her a copy, uh, a promo copy of their new CD and ins ascribed it to me with a note and she <laughs> carried it all the way back from Tokyo and gave it to me. So that's too funny. <laughs> they'd never asked me for the name. You know, in the beginning, I would have given it to them in a second. Um, I probably still would. Yeah. Um, but if they ever need it, you know, they they can have it. But it's it's pretty cool that even they know about it. <laughs> that's too funny, man. 
tell me about that that Freddie Gibbs concert experience because you know I saw the photos and there's wine there man like there's obviously a lot of wine there yeah Um, what was that night like so many you know wine and uh, you know music experiences I think the one you may be talking to is when they played PS1 and, you know, like all of the, you know, shows I go to with Ethan, you know, we take care of the backstage area. All that they ask for their riders, they want, you know, Mad Libs, you know, CDR setup and ice and glasses. Mm. And we've even got to the point now where we usually bring our own glasses. So usually it's just ice, which you think that would be pretty easy, but that's always a challenge yeah. <laughs> is getting the ice backstage so we can chill down the wine. But uh, brought a ton of Riesling. Um, Pete Rock came. That was incredible. Crazy. So the show was amazing. There was about five thousand people. You know, on stage we were drinking Keller Vonderfels. Um, Freddie was really, really just completely on, strutting around the stage, and I'm just sitting there looking at him, going, "Man, he's drinking Keller Vonderfels in that glass. <laughs> I couldn't be happier." Uh, and then Pete Rock came on towards the end and came and you know. Gave Madlib a big hug, and you know that was really special for Otis because he idolizes Pete. Um, we actually had uh, Pete Rock and uh, and Otis right here sitting on those chairs behind us wow. for four hours, where Pete played you know his unreleased beats for Otis, and they just sat and talked, smoked, and drank great wine. Oh my God! Just Blaze rolled up in a Ferrari and parked it you know parked it right out in front of our right. apartment. Um, it was an incredible, incredible night. All, you know, really because of Ethan, um, but also, you know, wine, you know, was the, you know, original connection it's, point. It's so cool to, um, to see this culture flourishing. I mean, this is honestly why I do this show. Yeah. Like, literally, just to yeah. hope to inspire that behavior, try to get more rappers into wine, trying to get... I appreciate you for doing it so much. I love the show. I love listening to it, you know, being able to listen to uh, people talk about wine and hip hop. And you've got a lot of really knowledgeable hip hop, you know, experts on your show, too. So I learned stuff about, you know, music as well. So I think what you're doing is incredible. Yeah, man. Like, honestly, we're we're really trying to um, I'll cut this part of the interview. Like we're trying to take things to a different level. We're going to start to do a live online experience. Yeah, and we're actually gonna have people drinking along with us. Oh, like, that's cool. We got a show coming up on the 16th with um, Dave East. Okay, and he's we're gonna be um, probably I don't know what we may do riesling. We might do some riesling, man. You let me know if I can help. Yeah, man. Um, but no, this, this dude, you've seen some wild shit. Like I gotta say that it's just that is um, the thing that I love most about it though is. Whenever I get to meet an older musician, I'm all about the elders. So, you know, when I went to that show in London that I mentioned to you, um, I had all of our wine. I have a big wine uh, case that I I travel with. And I got there early because I wanted to get the wine chilled. The biggest part of a show is chilling the damn wine. Um, The promoters can never get the ice, and they don't understand. When we mean ice, we mean ice, like big buckets of ice. I've actually created a a photo of of what we mean backstage. Make it look like this. We don't need, like, thing of ice like this. We need, you know, big busboy trays full of ice. So I get there early. 
um, they take us to you know where the uh, dressing room is. It's a trailer backstage, and I get there, and guess who's in the trailer? Roy Ayers. <laughs> so I wait, I wait. I'm looking at my watch, looking at my watch. It's getting close to you know the set time. So finally, I just got to be like, you know, I'm gonna have to like knock on the door. So I knock on the door. I'm like, excuse me, Mr. Ayers, would it be okay if I put Mad Libs wine in the ice in here? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. And you know, I've seen him at a couple of shows recently, and you know, he's in his 80s, so you know, he's having a little bit of trouble getting around. So he was waiting for his car to come. So I went in, got all of our ice chilled while Roy's you know hanging out, and then once his car came. And it was perfect timing. He walked out, and Otis and Ethan were coming up, so they got to, you know, meet and talk. And I think he's met him before, but you know, just to say hello. So just crazy stories like that. Yeah. You know, meeting a musician who hasn't, you know, put something out for twenty-five or thirty years and doesn't understand that people still care about, you know, his music. Yeah. Meeting, you know, Phil Ranolin at Ethan's Rap Cats pop-ups where. You know, he does these, which we got to get you connected to one of these once the uh, pandemic um, subsides. So he does these record pop-ups where he'll either have a musician's collection. So he did uh, Phil Ranolin's. He's done multiple ones with DJ Shadow. Or he'll have a specific dealer come in who specializes in Brazilian. Um, and then what we'll do is I'll bring huge amounts of wine. So I'll bring two <laughs> cases of wine, put it out for everyone so people get to dig all day long in you know someone's collection that spent a lifetime curating it while they're drinking Riesling. So, so I got to meet cool. Phil Ranolin through that. Broke my heart when I gave him a glass of Riesling. He said he only drinks red, but wow. he's an elder <laughs> and he's uh, you know one of my favorite musicians of all time, so he can drink whatever he wants. Um, <laughs> but being able to, through wine, meet someone like Phil Ranolin is just incredible. Larry Mizell walks in with his wife. You know, just wants to look at the records that are there, pour him some wine, get to talk to him, you know, about what he's doing now, about, you know, things he's done in the past. Despite all he has created in his life, I don't think he realizes that people still idolize him today. Mm -hmm. You know, producers, musicians, everyone knows everything that, you know, the Mizell brothers did. So those, to me, those experiences are really, you know, what's special, similarly to... You know, going to Germany and meeting a guy like Uli Stein mm. um, or the Falkensteins, um, you know, who don't realize that their wines are highly allocated in the U.S. <laughs> and that people fight for them and that people love them. And, that, you know, guys like Freddie Gibb are drinking them on stage. Yeah. That's just so cool. Um, who, who is your favorite artist out right now? Um, obviously, I love West Side Gun. So that's that's mm -hmm. one. Um, I love everything that Freddie Gibbs is doing. Um, anything that Mad Lib touches, I love. Um, I like, you know, some of the newer up-and-coming artists. There's a really cool, you know, group called Model Home out of D.C. Mm. Um, Nappy Napa is one half of uh, Model Home. Pat Kane is the other, another Buffalo guy. Mm. They do some really, like, lo-fi, like, really fascinating hip-hop. And then Nappy, you know, does some things on his own that's marginally more mainstream if you heard it on its own you would think it was really you know lo-fi and underground but compared to model home um it's a little different so i like you know things that uh you know they're doing 
Um, honestly, you know, I really love Erica Badu these days. I mm. always have, but you know, I've been reflecting on that. And you know, when I think about you know who are some of the most important people right now, you know, who are elders in hip hop. I don't think she gets enough credit because she is hip hop. Yeah. You know, you could put her in R and B, you could put her in other categories, it's but all hip hop. You yeah. know, she came up, you know, through a period of time where the hip hop guys created, you know, what was called neo soul, which um, not sure whether or not people like that term or not, but <laughs> she's endured today. You know, her and D'Angelo. I yeah. mean, those guys are like you know the great artists of the seventies you know, who are no longer with us, but they're still with us and they're really young. And I really think the younger cats need to understand, yeah. you know, the D'Angelo's and the Erica Badu's that that was part of hip hop too. It hasn't always been about um, rapping. And then of all the new stuff, I just love that we're returning back to sample based. Yeah. So my thing with, you know, hip hop was I'm a record collector and I love uh, learning about obscure records mm. and I did that a lot through hip hop and I love soul and a lot of the great you know hip hop music is based off of a soul sample or jazz so I love the fact that we've come back around so Alchemist you know Madlib Derringer yeah. who did yeah. a lot of the Griselda stuff yeah. you know they're they're doing that really well and a lot of the younger guys are um, following them no ID even. yeah like he's, absolutely you know killing it I mean would you, it, it's interesting, like, I, I find a lot of people that really get into records um, would also be great producers. Would yeah. you ever consider producing? Yeah, I would love to. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like it's a bit of an insult to say that you could produce, and I think people don't realize how hard it is, yeah. um, but I think that picking samples out you know I actually when I find a really cool record mm -hmm. and it's not on YouTube or you know anywhere else and it's got a great um, sample in it you know I send it to a few producer friends I'm actually working on something with this guy Skinny Pablo mm -hmm. he's a young you know musician out of LA who's really into wine I met him through the you know rap cat stuff he's now doing some work uh, for Be Real um, he works for him during the day in his uh, cannabis Empire, but he's also producing his album. He just got a credit, um, I think, for our Dr. Dre piece. So I am sending him samples or sample material of mm -hmm. gospel music that's nowhere to be found, and he's chopping them up. Dope. So we're playing around with that. Um, I need to get better at digitizing stuff and sending it to him. <laughs> um, one of the challenges of not, you know, of using something that's not available on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, what I'd like to do is, yeah. like, you know, help guys find sample material of really obscure stuff. Um, that to me is so cool. Yeah. You know, when I, you can find a record and there's a great sample and it makes you go back, you know, to find the original. I see it all the time. You know, on YouTube, when I go look up an obscure 45 that was mm -hmm. sampled by someone and you see, you know, Madlib sent me here, Alchemist sent me here. You see all the comments in. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nah, you're right, man. Like, sampling is so, it's such a big, it's, it's hip hop. Yeah. Sampling is hip hop. Hip hop 
started with dudes talking crap on disco records, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, the best DJs in the 70s, which created hip-hop, you know, they were famous for two reasons. The quality of the music that they were playing and their sound systems. So yeah. the, the, the beginning of hip-hop really was about digging. Yeah. And to me, and again, you know, I mentioned that I lost a little bit of, you know, touch with hip-hop in the 90s. You know, part of it was I was just crazy busy, but the other part of it was when they stopped using real samples mm -hmm. and started doing, you know, just, you know, computer program based samples, it lost a little bit of the salt yeah. know, for me. Yeah, definitely. You, know? like, you anybody like to can feel that, yeah. you know, it needs to sound a little dirty. Yeah. When you look at the great, you know, guys who are working now, you know, Alchemist and Derringer and Madlib, they create a cinematic environment with the sample they choose yeah. and how they choose it and I think that to me is like one of the you know essence of hip hop that I really like and that's, that's what connects with the, the record yeah. collector uh, aspect yeah because records are made to listen you gotta listen to it straight through yeah. you know it's not for like jumping around you put it on you open some wine and you chill yeah. I gotta say like you know, you've, you're known for like really putting people on the reasoning. You're really putting me on the record collector right now. You know, <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm terrible with like, I want to walk around with everything in my pocket, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I'm, I'm a music fiend. I'm listening to music yeah. 24 hours a day. Uh, but honestly, after this, I'm going to buy a record player. <laughs> like, that's no bullshit. <laughs> oh, that's good <laughs> Look, I love Spotify. As, as much as anyone and I love the fact that I can jump on Spotify and hear a new artist you know that may have just put something out there was some feature that Freddie Gibbs did and I was listening to it and it was like two days after the Clippers lost and he was rapping about the Clippers <laughs> being lost. Yeah. it's like this is on Spotify yeah. how is that possible like how did you have yeah. the time to write it yeah. go to the studio record it the label cleared it they put it out it's, it's crazy. You know, it has to sit in iTunes for a little while before it drops. You don't just upload it and it's out the yeah. next day. I heard that, yeah. Like, that uh, That was my favorite line. Yeah. On, like, Freddie Gibbs is great with that, though. Like, same thing with that, um, the, uh, the Michael Jordan line. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he can come up with a, I think he can probably come up with a rap. You give him a topic and, yeah. you know, he'll come up with it. Yeah, um, he's he's absolutely in, incredible. But I I love Spotify. I I hope that a lot of the younger artists who are putting out so much music on Spotify can figure out a way to monetize it, um, because obviously they're not making a ton of money. They yeah. need to change their you know business strategy to figure out you know how to make money off of it. Mm -hmm. But it's still great that you know an obscure artist making you know music in a small town somewhere can put up you know, a song on Spotify and it can get heard around the world. Um, I'll take that over the, the downside about the economics not being great. But a record is, is completely, you know, different. I mean, you, when you put a record on, it's a different sound. It's a different feeling. You're holding something, you know, in your hands. The artwork is part of it. Yeah. You know, you can read the liner notes. It forces you to listen to it in a, in a different way. And I think that's the, the downside of Spotify, you know, one of the, the big things I've, I've tried not to do um, is I don't like music as the background, mm. you know, to me, music is 
you've got to focus on it. That's and, dope. You know, it's it's hard for me as a you know a person who's had ADD all my life to do that. But you know, whether I listen to it on Spotify or a record, um, I try to focus on it. And you know, I can I can have a wine and listen to a, a record at the same time. You know, to me, you know, the two just sort of blend together. Um, but there's nothing like putting on a record. Wow, that's real. I gotta say, like, and. Yo, we got to hang and, like, listen to some music and drink some wine, like, soon, man. But, you know, that's how I chill. That is how I, you know, let my stress go. I literally, I put my headphones on, blaze one up, <laughs> open a bottle of wine, and just zone out. You yeah. know, like, really take the music in. So it's dope that to hear that you vibe on the same level, man. I have a, a question for you. Back in April... March, mm-hmm. when the pandemic was at its worst in New York, and nobody knew kind of what you know the timeline was. Were you able to do that then? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean that really helped. Yeah, honestly, like just to be able to like turn the news off yeah. for a second. Like now I'm trying to get better with living in the moment. You yeah. know, and that's been a 2020 thing. Like. I'm so, I'm always thinking about tomorrow and the next yeah. year. I'm trying to be better about living in the moment, and music helps me do that. Yeah. So you know, at that time, my wife, um, my wife is a doctor, and she was, you know, she actually got lucky. She took two weeks off right before this thing got crazy, wow. and she went out of town and. Um, you know, I was just, it was just me. And I yeah. had, it was me and my daughter and I kind of like focused. But music really brought me through that entire time. The only reason why I ask is, so I get up every morning really early, usually five o'clock. First thing I do is listen to music, get myself ready to, you know, put a suit on and go to the office. So I listen to music for about two hours and all I want to do is stay home and listen to music. Yeah. When I was forced to stay home because of the lockdown for like a month, I really, I don't think I turned my turntable on for that whole month. There was something going on where, and I was still working from home and doing Zoom calls and it was just, you know, a weird time where there was just so much information, um, you know, coming out that like, for some reason, I just didn't listen to music much. Yeah. You know, had a good time drinking wine. The interesting thing was the simple wines, you know, actually were, were best. I opened a few nice things from the cellar and for some reason they just didn't seem to click, but I'd open up a, you know, Uli Stein Blauschiefer or a Beaujolais and, you know, just enjoy it. Um, but listening to, to music, um, for some reason it just wasn't clicking. I, I listened to stuff on Spotify and, you know, again, listened to it more as background music, but I don't know, for that month or so I had a mm-hmm. really hard time. I mean, it was it was pretty distracting. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot happening. Man. But what's so crazy is every day I get yeah. up and all I want to do is stay home and listen to records yeah. all day. <laughs> and when I finally had the opportunity, um, it just wasn't clicking. <laughs> so no, man, I gotta say, dude, th- this is thank you for for um, bringing this wine out, dude. This oh, is my like pleasure. amazing right now. Two of my favorite wines and. You know, two of uh, the wines I think that the Masaria group would love. 
um, and we're inspired in some of the songs on the record. Dope, man. Well, that is my next purchase. Uh, <laughs> that's happening ASAP. Uh, but yeah, dude, can we tell uh, people a little bit about what uh, you're working on next? Like, what's your next thing? Yeah, so as it relates to wine and music, um, I started something um, in August with Stephen Bitteroff called Source Material. And what it is, is it's a curated wine service for German wine. But what we're going to do with it is we're really going to combine wine and music and maybe art and fashion and a couple of other um, genres. Um, one thing we're doing, for example, is we have a you know a wine that we're producing with a you know, hip hop producer that you'll know um, that's going to be coming out early next year. We want to do a lot of the Riesling study events that I did, mm -hmm. which is music, food, and wine, um, where we you know have you know either a small group of eight to twelve people come for a dinner. We did one uh, with Chef Flynn at mm -hmm. Gem, where we had ten people come. I did all of the music, curated all of the the wine. Uh, I did a larger one at Attaboy, where we had a whole mm -hmm. complete hip hop soundtrack. You know, if the pandemic ever subsides, we'd like to do music events where we yeah. might have, you know, a jazz you know group with a hip hop group come and you know we'll buy out a club and it'll be Riesling all night with the music. So really, what we're trying to do is German wine, music, food, art, fashion, you know, everything combined, um, and that's been great for me as a as a creative outlet mm -hmm. you know I work in finance on a daily basis which is great pays the bills but it's not exactly yeah. you know a creative outlet so that's the thing that you know I'm kind of excited about I've never you know worked in in wine um, ever um, had a small investment uh, in a vineyard many years ago that was a disaster but <laughs> you know other than that never really worked in wine so this is the first foray uh, we did three releases so far um, I was incredibly, you know, humbled at mm. how many people they all sold out. The first one was uh, Emmerich Schoenlieber, who, along with uh, Klaus Peter Keller, is probably one of the, you know, greatest, you know, German winemakers. The hands second down. one, Klaus Peter Keller handpicked six up-and-coming winemakers, and we did a curated case of uh, of six bottles of all winemakers who are not imported into the U.S. Um, the third one, we did a seller offering uh, from Prune that Katrina mm -hmm. Prune and Steven put together. Wow. Um, so, not going to make a ton of money off of it. Just really want people to, you know, get exposure to these wines. I want the wine people to get exposure to music. I mm -hmm. want the music people to get exposure to wine. And the, the few people who are in the middle of that Venn diagram, like you and me, yeah. get both. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... That's the, the next thing we're working on. Dude, we like brothers in this, man. I mean, listen, if yeah. there's anything that I can do to assist, this sounds like a dream. Uh, like, you. <laughs> what you're thank doing. You. Like, this is amazing, man. It just, it's like, this is just crazy to see that this is where we are, man. I remember coming up in this game, and I wouldn't. I would never fathom that this is where wine. I mean, I felt be. the same when I first watched your show, you know, and, and listened to the the Lyle and being like, "Wow, like you know, like, <laughs> there's somebody else out there." I know, like, right? It's like it, you know? it's like a radar kind of like went out, you know, like a homemade yeah. thing went out and it came back like, "Holy shit, there there are more people yeah. out here like us." 
Yeah. Like, you know, we talked about it on that show when I met Lyle. It was at that um, Sadat X tasting. Yeah. And we were both in awe that that was ha- like we were in one setting and drinking wine, but also listening to like some dope music. Yeah. You know, I come when I came up in, in auction, it was like, you, you know what it's like. It, yeah. it, I didn't see that for I, it wasn't yeah. that at Restaurant Danielle. That's not what it was like, you know. No. Uh, no. <laughs> it was way different, but I'm glad to see that we're here. And um, man, thank you for your contributions to the game, man. And thank you, um, you know, thank you for for inviting me here and let me do this podcast with you, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. This is another episode of Wine and Hip Hop, guys. Peace. This was a moment in Wine and Hip Hop, brought to you by Crew Love.